You're listening to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast, a product of the Oregon Basketball Coaches Association. To learn more, visit our website at or.nhsbca.org. Welcome to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. I'm Derek Duman, OBCA Vice President and Boys Basketball Coach at West Albany High School. Today, I'm joined by Tom Cole, girls basketball coach at South Medford High School. Coach, how are you doing today? Great, thanks. Good. Thanks for taking the time to speak with us. Uh, I'm really excited to, to have you on. For those that might not be familiar with you, can you give us a little bit of background information, kind of on your basketball journey, how you became a basketball coach, and how you ended up as the girls coach at South Medford? Yeah, I, um, you know, I, I think I, I, I played basketball in high school, uh, loved the game, uh, and, uh, was never spectacular as a player, but, uh, was within a good program. And then when I went into college, I, I had an opportunity, uh, during college and after college to be a part of, uh, a development program that was really kind of the first, uh, incubator for AAU. And this was back in the early 90s, um, uh, in Missouri, and we had competitive teams representing Southwest um, region of Missouri all the way up to Kansas City. And I, I had an opportunity to oversee that youth program at the time, and and really benefit by some mentoring from. Uh, at that time, the coach was a gentleman named Charlie Spoonhauer, who was a legendary coach in the Midwest. He coached at uh, Southwest Missouri State University. And, where I attended school, uh, as well as uh, St. Louis University and UNLV after uh, uh, Tartanian left. And he was uh, just a brilliant basketball mind, but, a, but an amazing person. And I, I fell in love with some of his, his, his philosophies. And uh, I've, I've just always been a junkie around teaching the game. And, uh, and really, that's been my passion. And I, when I moved out to Oregon in, in 1995, uh, I came out here to start uh, boys and girls clubs and, uh, in this region. And they, they, they kind of got that off the ground and developed my own organization in 1998. And uh, I, you know, I, I admittedly have been kind of burned out with basketball. Some of the, some of what I was watching happen in the youth programs where parents were starting to really uh, over-involved with some of the over-competitiveness that were being created. Uh, I mean, just was, it was a, it, it really turned me off from, from it, and, and yet uh, when I was here in Oregon and got established, I also found it as a conduit to helping uh, kids in poverty get involved with team sports. I, I got involved with the boys program. I had a relationship to uh, Kyle Singler, who uh, was a kid growing up in Medford, and his brother EJ. Uh, Kyle went on to be an All-American at Duke and won a national championship. He was going to be a had a stellar career at, at the University of Oregon. And so I had a chance to be connected to the boys program. I had some kids that were coming up out of Kids Unlimited that also were integrated onto that boys team. They had a really great program in 2007. And, um, you know, uh, after doing that and building kind of an AAU program for kids of poverty to start getting to play basketball in our region, I, uh, our athletic director approached me about taking over the girls program. And, in 1997, um, because they had been in a position where they had, you know, we had a 
boys team that was a nationally ranked boys team, and a state champion boys team, and a girls team that hadn't won a game in two years. And so there was a, a pretty uh, tough climate around uh, girls competing in basketball in general. And um, I was invited to, to help out, and I kind of did it, believing it might be a temporary thing. And you know, 14 years later, I, I'm still here. Yeah, that's cool. Can you talk about, you know, obviously it's been a while since you were in Missouri, but you had a lot of hands-on experience there. But what are some of the differences between basketball in, in Missouri uh, versus basketball in Oregon? Well, you know, one of the things that was distinct for at least where, where I was at is the level of athleticism uh, was far different. I I was uh, working um, with both boys and girls at that time. And, uh, uh, you know, the culture of basketball in general was much more embedded, uh, I think, uh, into communities, you know, whether you were a small town in Missouri or you were in a larger area. Uh, but basketball just had a really rich tradition of school culture. And, I, you know, when I first moved to Oregon, um, I, I, I think I feel a little differently about it now, but but when I but what I noticed at least in our region at that time is that there was a, uh, a stronger climate for football. I, I felt at least in Southern Oregon at the time, and I know that that changed with some successive programs. And like I said, I think I felt differently about it. But you know, the, the biggest thing was just the population differences with athletes. You know, there were uh, larger communities that had a lot of uh, a lot more kids playing. Um, there were a lot more kids who were involved in um, youth programs, uh, whether they be, you know, be boys clubs or boys and girls clubs, city grand parks programs. Uh, and so that was one of the noticeable differences. That there wasn't a, uh, it, it, it didn't seem to have that same climate here when I moved to Oregon in 1995. You know, you talked about, you know, when you got to Medford or South Medford, you took over the girls' program. Uh, there hadn't been a lot of success. Uh, so when you come into that situation, kind of what were you thinking and, and how did you kind of get things going? You know, what were kind of the first things that you tried to accomplish to get it moving in the right direction? Yeah, you know, the, um, for me, personally, I guess, you know, I – I wanted it to be fun for kids. I think one of the things, um, I mean, obviously, winning is fun. Uh, getting to the place of winning is not often fun. Uh, it takes a lot of hard work, and it takes, uh, you know, lots of things to come together in order to be successful. And I think one of the difficulties was a, uh, a kind of culture that had been created. And, uh, you know, there were, and, and for a lot of reasons, I mean, certainly I don't, I don't blame the coach or, I mean, I, I think there were a lot of things that, that didn't line up necessarily to provide a good experience for kids. So the, my first goal was, you know, as corny as it sounds, is I was like, you know, can we get matching uniforms? You know, I looked at like, you know, what, if, if, you know, can, can we actually feel good about the way we look? You know, and I, in, in the, you know, high school kids and, uh, and I would say with girls too, there's there's probably a, a higher consciousness around um, the team dynamic and, and, and feeling good and look, you know. And, and so I I really made a, a an effort right at the beginning of like, okay, can we get new uniforms? Can we get new? You know, can we do some things to give these kids, you know, a real sense of like, hey, 
passion for something and then creating kind of a common goal. And, you know, we surprised a lot of people in that first year. You know, we went from a program that had not won any games, won two games, had won zero games in the last year, two games in uh, the first season, um, and ended up being uh, a team that, that nearly won 500 that first year. So, you know, there was just a strange, uh, it was funny because there were, there were kids who had actually been in the program long enough who had never won a high school basketball game and um, had, you know, it was, it, it sounds strange, but they, you know, they weren't even sure, like, after our first win, like, what do we do, you know? And it, yeah. was, it was almost like, well, okay, well, you're going to shake hands with your opponent like you would enough, except this time you can actually feel good about it. And, uh, and so, you know, it's simple things. And I think it started with just, you know, that this was who we are and, uh, and we built off of that. Yeah, and and built it to something that's been uh, quite successful uh, in your tenure. You know, once you kind of got them bought in, right, achieving a common goal, uh, you really turned things around. You guys have had a ton of success, uh, won a state title, uh, multiple runner-ups, and I think it was eight of the nine last seasons you've been in the final eight. Uh, What do you attribute to that kind of consistent success in your program? Well, you know, coach, and I know you, as a coach, you understand this too. I, I think one of the hardest roles we have is, um, to develop, you know, it's easy to teach basketball. It's hard to teach passion. And, you know, and, and when, you, when you're teaching passion, you're really starting out of place. Can you create a foundation early enough for kids to love something? Because as we all know, anything that's meaningful is going to take place. You know, it's going to take a commitment. It's going to take time. Uh, it's going to mean you have to endure tough times in order to have good times. And whether that's a successful job or a relationship or anything, you know, anything meaningful. And and so we really, uh, we really tried to figure out how to develop a culture from the top, from the from the very entry level programs, our, our feeder programs, where kids um, learn to work hard, uh, learn to be good teammates. And uh, hopefully we instilled that, you know, how to be coachable. And uh, obviously we're contending with a lot of elements, as you know, as coaches, uh, to try to create those goals. But that, that I think if anything, we try to be consistent with those values. And so when kids start in our feeder programs, you know, it's constantly about development. And each year they get older and they grow and they, they have the opportunity to play at a higher level. Um, there are other, it, it gets a little tougher, you know, and, and obviously the numbers are reduced. Uh, you no longer everybody plays, but now it starts to become competitive. And I, you know, for us, we, we've really just tried to keep the consistency of in order to be successful, you're going to have to put the time in. You're going to have to, you know, keep, keep a, uh, you know, keep a focus on what your goals are. And as long as we, you know, I think are fortunate to have kids who believe that they're passionate about playing basketball, then um, a lot of the other stuff takes care of itself. Yeah, you know, you mentioned development, especially within your youth and your feeder programs. What does kind of your uh, development, skill development program look like? You know, does it start in third grade? You know, how do you continue to teach skill development at the high school level? Kind of what does that program 
look like for you guys? Well, in our community, we, we start um, what they call uh, <clears throat> youth development. Yeah, it's, it's, they call it AIDS. I, I don't, it's not always been technically uh, regulated by AAU as this governing body, although uh, it certainly there are uh, advantages of registering kids into AAU, insurance, and things like that. But they've always called it AAU. It's really in our, in our area, it's the Southern Oregon uh, Girls Basketball League. And it, it typically begins in fifth grade and it has, um, uh, you know, rules that are somewhat, uh, uh, simpler or, or, or just more, uh, introductory. Um, you know, they don't call as many travels. They don't let you play zones and stuff. So, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's, I think in those years, you're really trying to get kids hooked in. As you know, uh, whether you're coaching girls or coaching boys, um, there are a lot of options for kids to be involved in a lot of different things. So you want the experience to be positive. And, you know, I, we, we really tried to focus on fundamentals. You know, we, we try to focus on whether you're the kid who's six foot at, you know, fifth grade and all of a sudden, you know, you see this philosophy where we got to teach this kid to be opposed. But, you know, I think we've learned over the years, and I, I know I, I can say personally I've learned from failure from doing that, that, you know, what that kid's going to be later might be a six-foot post. I mean, it might be a six-foot guard, you know. They may never get bigger than, than, than the growth spurt that they showed. And, and so, you know, teaching them to be regulated to a drop step and, a, you know, square up and, and, and being able to uh, use the glass and that, and that being – it just isn't very – I think doesn't give kids the kind of well-roundedness um, to allow them to be sex- successful as they grow. And so we, uh, you know, we, we really try to just create positionless basketball in, in those early years. And as they get to about eighth grade, then we're really oriented them around uh, pace and, uh, and trying to introduce to them some of the things that they will have consistently reinforced at the high school level. But it's, you know, it's, it's really done in layers. And uh, it's really also about honestly not losing kids uh, until, until, until they really have to choose. I, I've, I've been a part of and unfortunately um, learned from mistakes that, you know, it's, it's so important to remove this necessity to win. At those at those days, because the reality, I don't think anybody remembers the score, you know, in sixth grade, uh, against you know, or seventh grade, or uh, you know, it's fresh in the moment for the parents, it's fresh in the moment for the kids. But I think we, I at least the philosophy we've imparted with our coaches, and fortunately, it's been really the foundation of what we do. Amazing volunteers is that we've always learned this like, you know, we want this to be a relationship they have for a long time. We want them to love their experience, even if they don't go on to play high school basketball. But, you know, they loved playing basketball at that period of time until they didn't have to. And, um, you know, I can't all – I know that who I was as a coach 20 years ago may not have been that same philosophy, but I try to impart that now to even our kids that – you know, now we've got coaches that are former college players, you know, that have grew up in our program. and gone on and been successful at a high level come back and you know they're ready to come back and they kind of are trying to come back to this version of maybe what I was 15 years ago and I've got to say that <laughs> we're not picking that battle you know 
it's not as important anymore, you know, and, and so yeah. it's, it's reorienting because I think kids today have a lot of distractions. There's a lot of countercultures that I think coach we realize and, and any coach who, who's done this long enough to know that, um, we're dealing with, we're dealing with, uh, we're dealing with a, a different generation and we need to be sensitive to the things that influence them, the, the, the things that impact them. And, and really what motivates them because um, it's different than certainly as a kid growing up in the Midwest, what the philosophy was then. And, and, I, and, we, and we had to recalibrate to that. And I think all of us do. Yeah. Agreed. And it kind of seems like it changes year by year sometimes, right? I mean, I know oh. I'm sure it's different. <laughs> but yeah. It's, it's training, it feels like it's training. It, it, you're, I mean, when you say year by year, you're, I mean, I can remember a little bit of a, you know, um, a, a, a separation of what we're talking about. But I, I mean, I just think of the, of, of the reality of communication. You know, as basketball coaches, I think one of the most important things that we can teach our kids constantly is how to communicate, how to communicate. You know, communicate on the floor, communicate off ball, communicate when you're on ball, you know, communicate from the bit. I mean, there's no shortage of success when you're communicating, especially defensively. You know, when we're really – when we're, when we're pointing out things. But what's interesting is we, we have a generation now that barely knows how to conversate. And I, you know, I mean, in my life of just coaching high school girls basketball, there have been times where we'd load up the van and kids would be singing songs and they'd laugh and they'd talk and they'd talk and we'd travel. And, and today, you know, uh, I, I could be driving the van and any number of long, you know, road trips and hear them laugh and only because they've shared something on a, you know, on Snapchat or on a social media app. And that is their way of conversation. Instead of talking to the, to the, you know, and so you have to figure all those elements in because you're right. It's changing very, very quickly. And it's changed really quickly in a really short period of time. And I, uh, I, I think those also are variables that impact how you coach kids today. You know, I, I hate to, I always tell kids like, you're not going to get a jump shot off of an app. You know, you might get some ideas off one. You might be able to go to a, a link of something, but it is not going to transform you because it's going to require you to do something real, you know, that's going to involve you, not a virtual version of you. And, uh, you know, that's where I think we've confronted some difficulties. Yeah. What is, you know, kind of hopping off of, you know, this that skill development, you know, like what does the practice look like for you? Are you continuing to build that skill development every single day? Is it more heavy in the spring and fall, kind of at the high school level, I guess? What, what does that look like? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's such a tough thing, I think, um, and I know you and, uh, and anyone coaches. You know, once we get into season, it's so hard to find the time to build the fundamentals and work on the techniques and, and a lot of the off-season stuff. You know, um, we all, I'm sure, there's not a coach that uh, participates in uh, basketball that's not emphasizing this, the philosophy that you know games uh, are won during the off season. Really, you know, it's, it's the work ethic, it's the contributions you make, it's the dedication. And you know, so when it comes to season stuff, it's really tough to include a kid crossover or to work on their shot individually because, as you know, we're, we have limited staff, we have limited time. And we're thrown into a schedule pretty quickly, right? So we're all, we're, we're constantly moving, you know, 
evaluating, watching film, or seeing, you know, traveling, and, uh, and it's just as consuming. Uh, not to mention our sport is in a time that, even for kids, I know, it's very tiring. You know, basketball season is a long season, you know, and it, and, it, and, it, and it incorporates every meaningful holiday we celebrate in this country, you know, <laughs> Thanksgiving, and, you know, it starts with Veterans Day, and we normally start a season then, and then we get, we get Thanksgiving, and that's interrupted, and then we get, you know, Christmas, and that's interrupted, and New Year's is interrupted, and Valentine's Day is interrupted, and, you know, your, 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 you know, MLK weekend is interrupted. So you have all of these holidays that are meaningful for kids, families, you know, coaches in our lives, and, and so it even doesn't give us a chance to, to, um, to do anything but, but build upon who we are. And, you know, and, I, and there are a lot of great things that we all accomplish doing that, but for our practices, I like, I, I've been a real big believer that everything is about tempo and, and about, and about accountability to time. Um, so I, um, I, I, I really like, I, I sounds almost, uh, you know, maybe over the top, but I'm, I'm a firm believer that we, everything has a purpose. And we, you know, if we think a drink break, it's one minute and it's one minute unless, you know, there are other concessions that need to be made for, student athletes that require a little bit longer time. And those are things we need to conversate about. But, you know, I'm really about like, okay, here's the drill it is. So if you have one minute. In one minute, we are back here. The clock's going to start in the game, and it's not going to be ready for you to be ready. And the referee's going to give you the game, uh, a ball on the baseline, and you've got to be ready to respond and run your inbound play and, and, know, and, be, and be focused. And so I'm real big about tempo, tempo, tempo. We're pushing, 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 uh, and, then we're, and then we're accountable to time. You know, everything starts and stops with these really adherence to we do this, we're focused at this period, and move on to the next year. How do you guys use, or I should say, do you use uh, any sort of uh, efficiency system or technology to kind of evaluate and give players feedback? Admittedly, I am, um, I guess, in the old school category. And fortunately, I am technology deficient in any way. I, I, I'm good about texting. I got a wonderful assistant coach, uh, who's, who played at, uh, University of Montana. She, she's entering the season four with me now, um, with a chemistry teacher at South Memphis High School. And she handles all of the, the mind apps and things like that. But in terms of tracking player efficiency, we, you know, outside of what is embedded, like, say, in a huddle program uh, or a huddle film breakdown, um, we, you know, and, and just general stats that we're keeping on an iPad. She's been brilliant about uh, we use an iPad program during games that really gives us, it shows us, you know, each of our percentages, obviously, the, the, the ones that always raise awareness with free throws and shooting percentages. But they also... Um, for, for each for each uh, player and for team collectively give us uh, perspectives of where we're shooting the ball from. You know, are we are, do we have a, a tendency to always run to the right side of the floor? Or do we have a and we started really paying attention to that uh, about you know do we become predictable? Are we balancing the floor? Is the ball moving? And some of those things get validated by the data that comes out of the iPad. But but I don't we haven't used this system outside of what is embedded in what's collected in game stats that does anything more than that. Yeah. 
Well, it seems to be working for you, Coach, so I'm, I'm not going to tell you to, <laughs> to change that. <laughs> well, the, it's working because I've got a great, you know, team of people that help to collect that, and then it's pretty easy for all of us to, to look at it and say, you know, you might want to think about when you're shooting it from the baseline, uh, you know, that shot hasn't gone in for you, uh, well, according to this, less than 10%. You know, like, so we can, right. you know, we can get those kind of reflections with it, but it's more about the, the collective uh, presence of what we do uh, as a team, I think, than um, ways down to the specifics about individual stuff. I, uh, it, it's really easy, as you know, Coach, when, when the stats become about individuals for us to lose uh, some control over over chemistry and purpose, you know, when, when it's about you know, what did I score, or, you know, what was my my stats, and so uh, we try to kind of de-emphasize some of that. Yeah, very true. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll return with more from Coach Cole right after this on the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. start of school means it's time to sign up or renew your Oregon Basketball Coaches Association membership. OBCA membership includes access to exclusive resources that help personalize instruction, understand players' mindsets, and maximize the impact of your practices. Members also receive access to the OBCA mentoring program and have a voice in improving the game at the state level. Membership starts at just $15 a year. Register online today at or.nhsbca.org. Welcome back to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Derek Duman here with Coach Tom Cole. Uh, Coach, I want to talk to you about, you know, you mentioned your practices and uh, being high energy, high tempo. Uh, you know, that's kind of how your teams play as well. You guys are, are looking to run in transition, uh, play a lot of pressure defense. Uh, can you talk about, you know, why is it you play that way and kind of how you build that mentality in your players? Well, you know, I've had a philosophy for a long time. It's something I learned from uh, Coach Spoonhauer, and he used to have this thing, and it was always, you know, and we would always deliver this really thick kind of Ozark accent, and it was, you know, pressure makes people do really bad things. And it was true, you know, pressure in life, pressure in job, you know, uh, in, in anything. Pressure um, makes people react differently. And we've been, so it's a, it's a kind of a two-sided approach. When we play pressure, we want to try and bring in energy that requires a lot of effort, it requires conditioning, uh, it requires uh, a discipline. Uh, in order to to bring an intensity around our defense again, and at the same time, when we're when we're focusing so much on that, it allows our offense to have to also be responsive in the same way. You know, the other the other sort of flip to this was, you know, teams that like to press oftentimes don't like to be pressed, and so we've tried to. And I and I think I learned that the hard way starting off. I was really big about. Let's, you know, let's, let's press, let's press, let's press, let's press, and, and, and trying to teach defense and, and trying to push a philosophy of defense, I neglected to be able to, to, to teach the same levels of patience and 
decision making that come with um, when you're facing that. And you know, I, I can remember. I don't want to say the name of the team, but it's a, a team that gave me a lesson at a really uh, a team that had a, a, a notorious program uh, being notorious, and I mean that in a successful. Um, but but has had a tradition of you know they're going to press you for you know uh, for for the entire the entire game and whether they're up by eighty they're still going to press you and I remember and I remember being this team that was really struggling just to win games and I remember we played that team and um, it was sort of this kind of at the end of it you know they were still pressing up and I had to say gosh you know they're not getting anything out of this. I know we're not doing any of that for him. These kids, you know, and I, I was wrestling with that. And I remember, you know, whether it was a good thing or a bad thing, I remember he said at the end of the game, he said, it's not my job to prepare your kids. And I thought, well, you know, that, that, that's true. And I, I need to start, sort of scratch my head and think like, okay, well, you know, is that how teams think when we're doing that? And, and, and it made me, you know, made me feel a little differently about about that approach. And we, we started to try to balance of, of how do we incorporate drills that are uh, that are just about as much about offense as they are defense, and uh, you know, I I I I do believe that playing up tempo um, and 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 what and how we structure practice with conditioning and every drill having uh, a lot of, of, of sort of tra- running a lot of transition drills just helps kids to to to, to understand playing quickly, making decisions quickly, playing under pressure, and. And we structure a lot of our practices like that. Yeah, I think you know one of the things when you when you play up tempo, uh, and I'm just kind of curious as to your thoughts on this is shot selection, right? As coaches, uh, we want great shots because we're going to make more of those. Uh, but oftentimes, you know, when kids get playing fast, sometimes they play too fast. Uh, so yeah. how do you kind of find that balance of hey, we want to go, we want to play tempo, you know, we want to pressure. But still, make sure that you're getting the shots that you want. Yeah, you know, you you you, you want to play you want to play fast, but you but you also want to play smooth. You know, you don't want to play to where uh, you are. And you're absolutely correct. I mean, uh, you know, there's no magic wand with that. <laughs> Obviously, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, constant message reinforcement around. That's a good shot. It's a bad shot. You know, I know that uh, the longer we do this, and even watching the NBA, and I know you as a boys coach, you've got to you got to really cringe at this because when you start to see players who can walk two steps across half court and find that to be part of their repertoire, and now it becomes emulated. And you know, luckily in the girls' game, there's a lot of those elements that don't transition into immediately. Like it's not because, uh, but it's there's somewhere in between that. I'll say that. You know what what that is. Um, I uh, uh, there was a kid that played here in the state. Was a phenomenal player. Went on to Louisville, and I remember used to watch her when she was younger, uh, Shoni Schimmel. And you know she take shots that I would cringe at, and then they'd be the shot where you'd be like, no, you know, and then it'd go in. And and she brought a, a, a you know, and I think in the women's game, the girls game. Um, there, there is probably less of that, although there's our fair share of bad shots, no question. And 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 it's a lot about it's it, it, it's a lot about holding all of us accountable as a team. And coming up, you know, at the beginning of these practices and at the beginning of our seasons, and really identifying what is a good shot and what is a bad shot. Because I think that's one of the things 
kids struggle with too is right when they see see when they see certain shots go in, whether it be from other teams that they do successful or players that they see, you know, it's hard for them to to really uh, decipher that that's not a good shot for my coach, but it's a great shot for this NBA player, you know. And, and right. so I think we've always tried to, to be very uh, cerebral about communicating, like, hey, what is a good shot? You know, tell me what a good shot is. Is a good shot a shot you can make nine times out of ten, or is a good shot, you know, and, and tell me what you do to make those. Because if, if you can't do those consistently and practices, we, we really are irresponsible if we shoot them in the game. And while that's been a good, you know, a good place for a lot of kids, there's always going to be that kid who's, Still defies it, but I, I think a lot of it's just about building the understanding so that they too can be accountable to what they know for them is good and and what they what they don't get success with. Yeah, you know, seeing defensively, uh, you know, I know you guys pressure quite a bit, uh, and you talked about that, you know, that philosophy behind that. You know, do you spend a lot of time? You know, I'm trying to think. You know, is your goal to outscore people? Uh, how much time do you spend on working on rotations? Do you not rotate? I mean, kind of what does that look like as far as what you're communicating to your players within your pressure defense? Well, I, I and I feel like uh, I'm, I, I admittedly am learned still. You know, what I thought was a really great philosophy. I mean, truthfully, the year we went 30 no, the personnel we had, I don't know that we play man-to-man ever. I mean, we always have in the zone man-to-man principles. But we ran a one-two-two, and we were really long uh, in, in, in the backcourt, and we just trapped everyone. We had a six-five center. We went on to Stanford. And, so you could play differently, you know. You could right. literally take things away from the perimeter, and by the time that pressure wore you out, if you were to get through that new look-up, you would be greeted by a six-five shot blocker in the middle that um, led the, you know, ended up leading uh, still holds records for the state of Oregon and all-time shot block. And so, you know, personnel I think has a lot to do with it. I think over the last several years, I have almost abandoned zone defense. Um, I've really gone more to a man-to-man, um, mainly because of the personnel assessment of having good athletes, having a deep team not necessarily having the link in the guard and forward position, but having quickness. And I, you know, I, I feel like I've learned more about keeping a system of accountability. And, and, and don't get me wrong, we're always in health position. We're always, we, we I, I'm a strong believer in, in a sort of paint concept that if, you know, if you're off ball, you're one foot in the paint the whole time. And because of the athletes that we play against, um, and that we possess, uh, you know, it's a little different for each kid, and especially from girls to boys. But but it's a general rule that we're always trying to make sure that the paint is not where the ball is going to enter at it too. But I'm a bigger, I'm a, a much bigger uh, advocate for man-to-man defense. Uh, even though we're playing full court, and even though we still will will we'll, we'll pressure and we'll trap, um, I just I, I I feel like we been more intense in what we do defensively than we can do in a manner. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Coach, I want to talk about, you know, you've had the opportunity to coach uh, a number of Division One players. 
uh, had a lot of great talent that's come through there. Could you talk about, I mean, what is it like to coach that level of talent? How do you coach it differently um, than maybe a year where you don't have those types of athletes? Well, uh, you know, it's easier when you have talent. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, we're all, I'm, I'm a much better coach when I've got, you know, the kids that I was just talking about. I know that. Yeah. Uh, you, you can look brilliant. Um, and, and yet, uh, it may not be, I, I mean, I think, uh, I, at least for me, I think the season that, uh, a couple of years ago when my kids that are now in the 21 class were freshmen, you know, they had, um, they had been, they had inherited winning, but we had lost so many kids, uh, that, um, that, that I was, I had seven freshmen on a team of nine kids. Um, and I had one junior and one sophomore. And it was a rebuild, you know, for the first time we had gone from having seven consecutive undefeated conference championships to now, uh, trying to figure could we even, you know, could we finish number two? And I actually think, personally, I felt better about that season, even though we didn't go undefeated. That was the one year we didn't go to the state final eight. Uh, I felt better about, I felt like it was a season where I personally felt more engaged and, and, and that I was doing a better job as a coach, uh, teaching and, uh, and doing those things. And uh, I think when you have talent, sometimes um, we rely a little bit more on, uh, you know, our ability to understand that these kids can do these things. And maybe uh, there's not always the same accountability to detail, I would say. And and I also think sometimes talent, it comes with, um, it, you know, the especially with kids, you know, it, it comes with some challenges, right? Because they can, mm-hmm. because they're talented, they also may come with this mindset that, um, that they're special. And they're, you know, in order to be great, you, you, you've got to possess those other skills that are really inherent to leadership. And, you know, our best teams have been when our t- most talented player is our hardest worker. That's not always been the case. And we We've had some disappointment in games where our, we definitely had the most talented player on the floor, but in times of adversity, that player, if they're not the hardest worker, they will eventually be transparent at times when we've all or when it's meaningful and needs to, to represent itself. And I think there, there has to always be a correlation with talent and hard work. And when you've got talent and they're all buying into hard work, then you've got special teams. And, you know, fortunately, we've had more of those than we haven't had. But it it comes with some challenges, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, one, I mean, one challenge, you know, that I I plan on asking you about that we all deal with as coaches, uh, not just you, but, you know, oftentimes uh, parents, right, especially if there's talented kids and, you know, are you getting my kid to where they need to be? Uh, Kind of like what is your – plan or program for parents in your program and, and how do you kind of handle them? Um, you know, this is, I, I've given them the Heisman. <laughs> I, I, I mean, honestly, I, I, what I, I try to do from an early age with these kids and, you know, we all know what kids are coming into our program. And, you know, I, 
we've had these conversations with other tech coaches. Um, we know if a talented freshman's coming up, you know, because they've been in our feeder program, they live in our attendance area, you know, they've been a part of our camps, whatever that might be. I, I have tried to make it really, really clear that I, uh, I need you to be supportive of this thing. And I will always be open to have a discussion with you. But they need to be at appropriate time and they need to be about certain things. I'm not going to talk about, and I've just been honest, like I said, look, I feel like I've done this long enough now that um, while I, I admittedly am not perfect, I do feel like I have a methodology and some results that, that I, I believe are an important part of this journey. I need you to understand that if your child is to play here, your daughter is to play in our program, that you believe in these same principles and that you, you know, that you respect your, the coaches well enough to follow these kind of guidelines. And I try to say that early to them because if you don't set that simple or, or uh, a kind of boundary line for those parents, they will be problematic forever. And even when we've done our best job in trying to limit it, it's not to say that I haven't uh, still had to deal with it. I just got to a place to where um, I'm always going to listen, but my response may not be the one you want. Uh, but I will always listen to you because you could trusted me to be the coach of your daughter. It doesn't mean that we're always going to leave the meeting with the same agreement. And, um, I, you know, um, I think the longer I, I, that, that as coaches we do this, and I remember, you know, Dennis Murphy, who was at South Medford for a lot of years, um, and was my athletic director, uh, was, was the person responsible for hiring me back in 2007. You know, he had done it for so long that people knew what they got from him. And if they didn't like it, they could go and do something different, you know, choose a different program or choose, you know, but I think they bought into what the program was and the program obviously had an influence strongly by him. And I think at this point in my tenure at South Medford, um, I just tried to be open and honest about about that because um, at the end of the day, we need our parents to be uh, supportive of their kids. And to me, that's one of the hardest things that I've dealt with. I've dealt with more um, where parents are, uh, are, are, are pushing an agenda that doesn't ultimately help their kid uh, be a, not only a better uh, student, uh, a better a better player, but just a better you know better student athlete in general. You know, I don't. I, I, so, um, and we've had some times where we've had to do some interventions like that. But the the longer we've done it, the less that I have to deal with. And uh, just try to start it off by saying, here's 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 what things are going to be like, and I, I need you to follow this. And, um, if you don't you see a time where there's something that doesn't fit with you, well, you know, there's a way that we can handle this, but it's never going to be during practice. And I don't want parents in practices. I don't. I think there's distractions, and I, I've always had a closed-door policy about that. Um, I don't let parents talk to me after games. You know, I mean, certainly we can high-five and shake. And, but if you're going to talk to me about what you didn't like or whatever, uh, you know, that, that, that uh, it's not appropriate. And we all need to be in a different place before we make reflections. Um, and I and I kind of look at it, you know, let's, let's talk about it tomorrow when we 
and the energy of the game or the, the emotion of whatever you're feeling uh, has, uh, has has settled a bit and is not uh, you know not in a place where you feel like you could say something. Yeah, always uh, always a good rule. Always a good rule for both parties. <laughs> not one that's always appreciated and followed, as we all know. But you know, right. uh, I think it's you know uh, I think as coaches we 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 do we are entitled to to have that because um, we put a lot of energy and time into it, and it's never about us. Uh, it has to be about a collective experience. And, uh, you know, good parents love their kids; they have a great for their kids. And that's what makes them good parents. But it doesn't always make them fair assessors of a basketball team or experience, you know. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and somewhere in the middle of all that is, is some truth, right? Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. We're going to take another break. When we return, Coach Cole will try to beat the shot clock here on the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Join us for the 13th annual Nike, OACA, and OBCA Basketball Coaching Clinic, December 4th and 5th at the Sheraton Airport Hotel. Strict COVID protocols and restrictions will be in place. Register today at www.organcoach.org. Welcome back to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. We're talking with Tom Cole, girls basketball coach at South Medford High School. Uh, Coach, for my next set of questions, I'm going to put you up against the shot clock. I'm going to have 35 seconds on a timer, uh, and I'm going to ask you some rapid-fire questions uh, that I'll have you answer as quickly as you can. Uh, They should only be one- to two-word answers, hopefully. Uh, And then what we'll do afterwards is we'll kind of debrief on some of the the hot topic questions so you can get a little more long-winded answer to, to back up. Back up what you said during the segment. How's that sound? Sounds good. All righty. We'll put 35 seconds on the clock, and we are starting now. Do you think Oregon high school basketball should have a shot clock? Absolutely. Should it be implemented at the sub-varsity levels? Not necessarily. If you're up three points with less than 10 seconds, do you foul? Depends on the scenario. How big of a lead do you need before you pull off a press? Typically 20. What's your favorite way to guard on-ball screens? Switch. How do you celebrate after a big win? Uh, Coming together. What's one word officials would use to describe you? Today, calm. (laughs) Today, calm. How about uh, 10 years ago, Coach? Uh, Animated. Animated. Good. There you go. Time. Nice work, Coach. Good. Good. Animated is good. I think there's there's worse things you could be called, Coach. That's worse things. Yeah. Well, I think, (laughs) I I mean, in in my uh, my tenure, I've had two technical fouls ever. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I – I just had uh, I just had one uh, two years ago, and I was shocked because I didn't you know I 
but I, I think sometimes, you know, officials, uh, um, you know, when, when games are big, um, yeah. there's a pressure for them too, you know, and sometimes I think they get caught up in the emotion and they make interpretations that might not always be um, the accurate reflection of what the coach is communicating. Uh, and, and, you know, we all are with that, you know, and I, I've always been, I'm just trying to communicate with the officials. Like, I'm not that guy. I really am not. I'm not the guy right. who's going to tell you you're terrible. I mean, I'm, you're not going to get that. Um, right. But, but I, you know, I need you to be at least approachable so that we can communicate. Uh, and, yeah, and you know how that goes sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Coach, you know, is a high school shot clock. Uh, implementation is a hot topic from across the country, but especially in the state of Oregon, you know, coaches have, have said they want it, especially at the higher classifications. Can you kind of elaborate on, on why you're in favor of a shot clock? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak on this. Uh, I mean, I think it's good for the game uh, uh, for, for, for all levels uh, and for both genders, but I really feel like for the equity that the girls have given, and it's come a long, long way. It's a, it's, it's, it's tremendously different than when I first started, even with elite players in the in the early nineties for young women. The talent level, the skill level, um, is so much different now because of the opportunities that girls have had. And so, when, the, the shot clock to me is a way to keep the tempo of the game resemblance of. Uh, a, you know, a competitive atmosphere, and, uh, you know, where these few states that have implemented, and we travel around the country all year, um, you know, where I might be a elite uh, high school team that has benefited by the opportunities to play um, all around the United States. And it, it, our kids love to play California. They love to play uh, in, in uh, states that have. And we went back east and played at the Title Nine hockey tournament a couple of years ago. I mean, they just love it because it's, it's quick. It's, it's, um, it doesn't allow for the game to, to get down to a place where, you know, admittedly, sometimes it's about strategy, but I, I think it just, it discredits today's athletes, uh, and, and the quality of where the game has evolved, both in a competitive collegiate level and a professional level. Uh, Obviously, the shot clock is different in both of those, but I I I, it, I really feel like it's a, it's something that the state of Georgia uh, has to has to evolve to. Uh, it just our better teams, um, and I would say at every level, you know, whether it's even the small school level, it it just it, it, it's so important. Uh, I I know. Uh, it wasn't too long ago, and you would probably remember this too. There was a girls' state championship where, where the mm-hmm. final school was yeah. won. You know, what was was uh, was the outcome? Uh, obviously, from a strategy to stall it out, and um, and while that was a you know, I mean, it's a fair strategy if the rules allow for it. But I, I just kids want something different. No, no kid enjoys playing this game. That requires, especially today's generation, right? Which is instant gratification, you know, immediate. What they're going to send a text message, they're going to send social media messages, you know, and it's, you know, they're 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 running in a in video games and everything else. And then here you have this, this beautiful game of basketball, and it's 
it, and it should resemble where it's evolved to. Uh, it, it, but it's it stays where they find it. I, I, you know, I keep advocating every year we get this, the surveys that I always hear it's a budget issue, and I would challenge. Um, you know, I, 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 I know there are some very creative ways that we can make this possible uh, that to, to allow the, the kind of concessions that would need to be made in order to do it. In fact, personally, I'd rather see I'd rather see a shot clock than a three man rotation. I think it changes, you know, if we're looking at the investments with it. Uh, not to say that three man rotation doesn't have its uh, positive things because those you know, officials that uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of strength in that. But you're going to get me to say shot clock all the time. Right. I guess that would solve the question of who's going to work it, right? The third official just hop in. <laughs> well, yeah. There I mean, you go, right? Yeah, you, I mean, you know, it's a very small installation cost. And I think if you ask coaches across the state, what would you rather have, a third official or a shot clock? I would be shocked if it wasn't an overwhelming majority that would say right. shot clock. Yeah. You know, Coach, obviously, we're taking this interview, you know, coronavirus 2020. Uh, you know, our season's still kind of up in the air, but, uh, you know, we're keeping our fingers crossed. We're still going to have a season. Yeah. How are you kind of planning for this season, knowing that it's going to be different, right? Even shorter preseason, less games. Like, what, what are you guys doing to, to prepare for this oddity of a season? Well, you know, I think at this point we're facing ourselves um, – our kids um, benefited by playing a tremendous amount of skill development and workouts in the spring. I mean, one of the things is you know, coach, that ended up having um, a difference during this offseason was that the state um, allowed for some flexibility for out-of-season coaching time. And because we had the accessibility of a private gymnasium, we were able to do something. Reality is very difficult to play in the world without traveling and expensive amount. And I, I, uh, I haven't wanted to, you know, get on an airplane with kids and fly different places, take different experiences. It's, it's, so, you know, we've been trying to pace it. It's, it's really been frustrating, and obviously for all of us as coaches, um, but. The transition, you know, we were in the semifinals last year, the state championships. We just won the state finals. The next day, uh, we had off. Uh, we were evacuated from the hotel that day. Uh, we, you know, the bowl was shut down. And from there, we, you know, so there was a lot of things unfulfilled for kids. And our class of 21 kids, um, I felt like, you know, really lost a lot of opportunities for college preview events this summer, too. Um, and have been having to navigate those things differently, but, you know, and yet we still train, you know, during the, during the summertime. But as we transition to the fall, I, uh, you know, it's really hard to keep kids wanting to do something when you literally don't know when the next game could actually be, you know, based on the regulations that exist. And, and that's hard. You know, I'm sure you face the same thing. How do, you know, how many times can we do the mitigated, um, socially distanced, um, uh, uh, 
shooting drills uh, in the gym with kids. You know, I mean, it's really, really difficult. And, you know, you can't, I, I, I think of my practices and like, I lose so much when you can't pass the ball, you know, or when you can't be in a group. Uh, so I, I, I'm trying to be hopeful, as I shared with you earlier, um, but I, I'm certainly concerned uh, to say the least. And I, um, I don't know how to, to, to keep optimism right now with kids other than believing. You know, there's still some options for us. I think you mentioned, Coach, that, you know, maybe the metrics could change for the state. That's one possibility. You know, could they, could the state decide to push our season back to correlate with seasons um, in other states? You know, California, for instance. You know, they're not starting basketball until March. Um, and they're going to run a, a spring season. You know, are there possibilities to do that? I, you know, I want to look at the the what ifs on on that side, but um, but it's tough. You know, it really is. It, 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 it's tough. And I, uh, uh, I've got a, my largest senior class that I've ever had, and so um, I'm I really, uh, I really worry that 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 whatever we can will be anything, uh, and then. We'll take it. We'll go from there. You know, if it, if it means that there's no state tournaments, if there's no, it seems inevitable that we still can play. We'll, we'll take whatever we can get. But uh, it's tough yeah. to keep our keep the spirit up. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, how do you go about selecting team captains? You know, it's uh, it typically has been um, seniors. Who have demonstrated leadership, and you know that's a blurry, blurry lens sometimes. Because, as I said, you know we've had very talented seniors who may not have always been the hardest workers. So you put it, it's a really tough thing to put them in a position, you know, just because they're the senior and the best player. You know, are they the most respected teammate and the most respected leader? And that's not always. There's not always a correlation. So we've tried to, you know. When we've had scenarios like that, we've always tried to have multiple captains so that there was, you know, if there was senior seniority as one barometer or one variable for, uh, for meaningfulness, which, which I do think means something, you know, longevity does mean something. But I think, you, you know, you also always want to have the representation of somebody who's extremely coachable, uh, who, who's a great teammate, so that it isn't just uh, left to one kid. I, I can't remember. Uh, I don't think I've ever had just a single player captain. Uh, actually, I, I think since 2007, we've always sent two or three players because I think the only way to ensure that the qualities that you want are, are really there uh, from, from a, what, what you would expect for a, a captain. Do you have a favorite team bonding activity that you do? Uh, you know, for us, um, uh, you, you know, we, we travel so much because of where we're located geographically that um, we're a little different than I think a lot of, I mean, honestly, we're, you know, we're four and a half hours from Portland. We're four and a half hours from Sacramento. Uh, we have to, I mean, our conference requires us to drive three hours to play our league 
geographically, our kids really can't afford to, to you know, to play on club teams where their drive is three and a half hours away to get to a practice. So we have had to be closer. And I think we've found, you know, we've, we've traveled so much, you know, with, with trips during the summers and off months uh, that I think these kids have learned. Um, you know, we, we always had this mantra, we say family. I know it's become almost a cliche now with so many programs using it. But, but we, we really adopted it a long time ago because really we do. We spend more time together um, than maybe even, you know, I just had this conversation with one of, uh, one of the parents. Like I said, I know I have spent more time traveling with your daughter over the last four years than you have. I know that, you know, we have gone to Hawaii, we've gone to Louisville, we've gone to, you know, we've gone up and down the West Coast, and I'm like, there's no doubt in my mind that I have logged more miles with it. So, you know, we, we, we sort of embrace this, this, this thing, uh, this concept of family, because they, they, they spend so much time together that um, the team bonding is not, uh, you know, while it's celebratory when, when things are growing well, it's also, you know, when you spend so much time with people, you're also like, gosh, you know, I got to room with her again, you know, what, we're doing this again. And, uh, but, but you know, it also builds some really lifelong memories for these kids, too. Do you have a favorite drill that you guys do? I love uh, a, a drill called Georgia Tech. Um, it was a drill uh, developed by Bobby Cremens uh, when he was at Georgia Tech, and uh, it's a fast break drill that works on transition defense uh, and and transition offense. You know, um, and it's 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 one of the drills that we've used forever. Um, kids love it. It's, it's, it's fast paced. Uh, there's goals offensively, goals defensively. And, uh, I mean, I don't. I think we we start introducing it to kids in seventh grade. Uh, by the time we get to high school, they all love it. They love Georgia Tech, and and the, and the, and the secret for all of it is that they're going to run so much in that drill, but it won't feel like a punishment. You know, like <laughs> it doesn't feel like your tip, typical drill. Even though there's a disadvantage, if you're having to run back and touch the baseline to create a you know a five on three. Uh, a defensive transition or a five-on-four, uh, off, you know, offensive advantage. You know, it's, uh, they'll just they'll gas themselves out, and I, you know, I, it, it's something we get a lot out of. That's great. How do you prepare for an upcoming opponent? You know, everybody kind of does that differently. How much time do you spend focusing on your opponent? How much of it is on yourself? What is what does that look like? Yeah, you know, I um, I I used to be the guy that would spend uh, probably too many hours breaking down film, you know. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, you know, and, and I've got a couple, you know, as you know, in the coaches' coaches, there's some some very uh, thorough um, uh, film uh, analysis that goes on in high school basketball. And I think the longer I've done it, the more I've been like, my gosh, uh, I think that kids are, you know, like there's such an unpredictability around kids anyway that I've really focused on, you know what? I don't, I mean, do I want to know who they play his own or do I play, or do, they play, or do I want to know who the best players are? Yeah. But I'm, I have abandoned this idea that, 
I need to know them more than I, I like than I know ourselves. I really focus on look if we do what we're supposed to do, if we execute the things that we need to do, I'm not worried as much about what they do. Do we need to know, you know, if this kid is right handed or left handed? Of course. Do we need to know that this kid is athletic and she can score them all over and she will? Absolutely. But I don't need to know, you know, if they hedge on this screen, they're always going to, you know, I, I don't need to know the details that require because I just think we, we, we have very little time in the season between games just to prepare ourselves for the things we need to do well in our last opponent. So I really just, my philosophy now is, you know, be who you're going to be and be the best version of it. And, um, and, and that seems to be the focus, you know, not really about, um, you know, there's, there's a certain player set a down screen in a certain way, which, you know, like, I, I don't, I, I just, I don't, I don't think that that's a great use of time personally for, for, for at least what, what I've learned over this period of time. All right, coach. Well, that's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for spending the time to speak with us. We really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate being on and uh, glad to get connected. I know that this is an important organization for our state. And, you know, we've got to continue to build the awareness uh, of the Basketball Coaches Association because it's more important now than than ever. And uh, I just really respect what what the organization is doing for advancing the game. If you have any follow-up questions or want to get a hold of Coach Cole, you can find his contact information in the episode description. We hope you'll join us next time here on the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Until then, coach them up. Thank you for listening to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Is there a coach you'd like to hear from or a topic you'd like to hear us discuss? You can write us a message on the Anchor website or send us an email at OregonBasketballCoaches at gmail.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify.